Greetings, salutations, hello, konnichiwa. This this content is from a Sunday school lesson from the book Devoted to God's Church, written by Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. This is chapter six. Are you hearing me? Or the Bible? Apologies for the dead air here. I'm trying to figure out. I don't do this often enough to remember how to do this stuff. Anyway, so please do not take a drink every time I say the word so or you know. So chapter six, devoted to God's church. Remember, of course, that this is uh, a book about God's church. And Dr. Ferguson opens this chapter by asking, what is a biblical church? Seems like a simple, easy question, right? <clears throat> Biblical church is one where the Bible is preached. Well, there are a lot of places here and there across this these United States and across the world where yeah, people use the Bible as a jumping off point, right? I'm always amazed um, in some of the um, older sermons I read or I hear, I listen to J. Vernon McGee's <clears throat> Sunday sermon quite often. And uh, Dr. McGee will often read one verse. So uh, go back and read some accounts of Whitfield or Edwards or Finney even. And their sermon will be based on one verse. Not that there's any, anything inherently wrong in using one verse as the basis for a sermon. And to be fair, I have not read the sermons that I am referencing. I'm referencing a reference to the sermon. Poor scholarship on my part, of course. But my point, point is, even Joel Osteen uses the Bible. Does he use it well? Absolutely not. But Joel Austin uses the Bible. Being biblically faithful is the definition of a biblical church. A primary focus on the Bible and its application as the word is preached, it must move into the congregation, indwell our lives, 
and that is only possible through the working working of the Holy Spirit. We must be changed, challenged, convicted, motivated. A biblical church must point us to the wealth of knowledge, truth, wisdom that we possess in and through God's Word. But it does no good to read God's Word without application. James, is, James tells us in chapter 1 of his epistle that we should prove ourselves to be doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This verse, along with a few others, uh, the words of Jesus in, in John, if you love me, keep my commandments. But James here, in my estimation, strikes at the heart of the antinomian doctrine of the day that we can say a prayer and then go on as though that prayer that appeal that acknowledgement of Christ as Lord and Savior of our lives has no bearing other than the eternal one We must be doers and not merely hearers. Second, Paul in Second Timothy chapter three, and I will turn there. Second Timothy, chapter three. <laughs> that all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Earlier in the chapter there, just a couple verses up the page, Paul told Timothy that from childhood he had known the sacred writings. Deuteron uh, the uh, Pentateuch, the law, as it were, the writings, the prophets, our Old Testament, these sacred writings would be able to give the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in, and that faith is in Christ Jesus. Psalm 19, 
David tells us that the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. Which is, which is in Christ Jesus. Without God's word, how can we know <clears throat> that we are sinners? And in turn, how can we know that we need a Savior? And how can we know that Savior? Augustine is credited as, credited as saying that Jesus is in the old concealed and in the new revealed. Each time I read through Scripture, cover to cover, I see more and more of Christ in the old. Just the other day, uh, reading through Isaiah 39, Take a look if sometime. I'm not going to go go there right now, but uh, sometime take a look at Isaiah 39, the last verse in that chapter. So the question is, how... Do these scriptures make us wise unto salvation? Dr. Ferguson gives us the uh, example of, or perhaps a hypothetical example of Timothy and his mother and grandmother. And, and, and I will not read it, but uh, he lays it out as a detailing of all that the Old Testament shows us and how these sacrifices instituted by Moses pointed us to the Lord. We read, we hear, we see the Word. We read it with our eyes. We hear it with our ears. We see with our eyes our brothers and sisters and the Lord putting it into, into practice, being doers 
of the word. These are not idle words, my friend. These are words of truth. But unless we see them worked out in, in the lives of others, they become hollow words. To me, this reinforces why we as Christians must be daily in the word. It is impossible to be doers if we do not know what it says. Some may say, yes, I aspire to live the Sermon on the Mount, right? Or I'm basically a good person. Or if I, if I do unto others, it'll be all right. No, it won't. It will not. Be a doer and not just a hearer. You do not know how <clears throat> impactful that doing may be. You don't need to know how impactful that doing may be, do you? So secondly, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. It is breathed out by God. The Greek word used there is theonoustos, theo referring to God, of course, noustos referring to air, wind. If you have a car. It likely has pneumatic tires, tires filled with air. This is breathed out by God. We should come to the Bible, Dr. Ferguson tells us, as if we were listening to God talking, because we are. God has spoken to us and continues to speak to us through his word. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that uh, in times past God spoke to us by the prophets. But now he's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. the Logos God's word sustains us In Proverbs chapter 3 
26. We are told of the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. And if you think back to what I read there from Psalm 19, the, the mention of the honeycomb, there is mention of honeycomb and wisdom and honey in Proverbs. Can't think of the verse right off the top of my head. But that passage there in Proverbs chapter 3, 13 through 26. The Lord, let's go to uh, verse 19. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. <clears throat> by his knowledge the deeps were broken up and the skies dripped with dew. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So there will be life to your soul and adornment to your neck. Then you will walk in your way securely and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of the onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Amen. There is much profit for us in God's word. But really, what difference does the Bible make, in it, make to our lives? We must be transformed by it. What profit is there in it, in God's word? Paul tells us there in 2 Timothy 3.16, he lists four prophets. Not with an E, but with an I. Teaching, reproof, correction. Training in righteousness. Dr. Ferguson tells us that one of the most alarming effects of our fallen condition and one that is most difficult to accept is that our minds are affected by sin. In some ways it is akin to a loss of memory. The alarming element is that we think is that what we think of as the very instrument we use in order to remember something our memory as it were itself malfunctions How often do we say that I can't remember I can't recall uh, memory fails me trust me friends as you get older that happens a lot, a lot more often, and I see it even in my my elderly parents. Who, uh, well, if they heard me call them elderly, they would probably uh, get out the belt. Uh, something that's not happened in 30 years, but uh, 
thankfully. But I see their memories. I see it, the people I interact with daily. Our memories are tainted. There is not any aspect of our lives that is not tainted by sin in some way. That is an ongoing theme in this book. Scripture tells us that our minds have been darkened by sin. Romans chapter 1 reveals that quite well. In Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, we see that on display. We do not see things as they are sometimes, but as we want them to be. So in our culture, our society, the thinking is, as long as we do our best, God will accept us. Talk to anyone about God. Anyone on the street. I sometimes listen to Wretched Radio, and on Wednesdays, Todd Friel will have uh, Witness Wednesdays, as they call it, and visit various college campuses in the Atlanta area, and <clears throat> he's even gone to the Minnesota State Fair at times, I think in the past. But people seem to think that um, everything's going to be okay. They do a good deed here or there. They're, they're, not, they're not as bad as they could be, right? There's still something good there, right? But this thinking reveals an ignorance of God's Word. There are so many instances in Scripture of well, Jeremiah 17, 9, for example. The heart is desperately wicked above all things. Who can know it? From the Psalms, our throat is an open grave, a bottomless pit. So many instances in Scripture of illustrating the depravity of man. And focus and and culturally we, we, we want to focus on our own works, right? We are capable of taking care of ourselves. We are fully autonomous. We don't need some God to take care of us. Scripture brings us teaching from God that illumines the darkness and helps us to see clearly.
Dr. Ferguson uses one of his marvelous metaphors here. And he is, this book is a fountain of, of, of good metaphors. Scriptures, laser beams. <laughs> Scriptures, laser beams remove the spiritual cataracts from our eyes only when they are directed by the heavenly ophthalmic surgeon, the Holy Spirit. He points to Psalm. 119 verse 18 open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law open my eyes Lord help me to see what you would have me to see. Secondly, Scripture is profitable for reproof. I think um, I think the uh, the old King Jimmy renders that as. Um, well, I don't want to guess at it. Let me pull it up here. Now the King Jimmy reproof as well. Hmm. Thought I remembered that as being rebuke. Well, the NIV renders it as rebuking. So, rebuking, reproof, uh, Hebrews, well, reproof, rebuke, connotations are painful. But of course, it should be painful. We are sinners. We don't like to be told that we are wrong, that we are in error, that we are dead without hope. So the word of God, as Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and a marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with the Word to convict us of our sin, to show us our need for a Savior who is Jesus Christ. One verse down there in Hebrews, no creature 
is hidden from God's sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must, must give an account. God's word gets under our skin, probes our failures, and exposes our sin. Thank God for, for that. As painful as it may be at times. But thankfully, another prophet of Holy Scripture is correction. What good does it do to point out the error, point out the failure, point out the sin without correcting it? The Word tears us down but it also helps build us up. Not to destroy us, but to clear the way and deal with that which distorts our lives and draws us away from the Lord and His blessing. It keeps us straight. The word acts as guardrails, hedges, to keep us out of the proverbial ditches on either side of the road. A little more scripture here, if I may. Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs is such a wonderful book. Proverbs chapter 4, starting with verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. I quoted that verse recently. Uh, one of our deacons had a birthday, and I, he's a big golfer, and I gave him some golf balls. And said, uh, Brother, may, uh, may these balls neither turn to the, to the left nor the right. Not to the hazard nor to the woods. May they fly straight. God's word should keep us on the straight and narrow. God's word and uh, this is another uh, 
Fergusonism. Let me find it here on the page. God's Word dissolves the superglue of sin in our eyes. He references the account of Zacchaeus from Luke chapter 19 here and how that after having his superglue dissolved Zacchaeus was corrected and instead of taking from his neighbors he began to give to his neighbors It's wonderful. Finally, the fourth prophet in God's word. Again, I, not he. Is training in righteousness. The word of God is not only a hospital to heal us, but it is also a gem in which we are strengthened and equipped for service. It provides exercises that stretch us and build up our spiritual muscles. It thus trains us and equips us to serve Christ. You ever heard somebody say, yeah, stay in the Word? Stay in the Word? Maybe they're thinking of <clears throat> Colossians 3.16. Where we are told to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. What does that mean? We should let, we must let the word of God change us, mold us, and prepare us to serve Him. Parallel to Paul's statement there in Colossians is are his words from Ephesians chapter 5 we should be filled with the spirit we cannot separate the two we cannot be filled with, with the spirit without letting the words of Christ dwell in us richly our thirst cannot be satisfied unless we drink liquid right our thirst for God cannot be satisfied unless we drink in his word and then what happens after that our lives will bear the fruit of that word and spirit Paul lists the fruits in Galatians chapter 5. Think of what Paul says to the Romans in 
the opening verses of chapter 12. How we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And our mind is renewed through the Word, through the Spirit. It is only through this training in righteousness that we will be spiritually and morally competent and equipped for every good work. But so what, right? So what? Yeah, that all sounds good. Sounds good. But what does that mean? It means study your Bible. Read it daily. Um, I'm reminded of some words from the movie Dead Poet Society. We should break the bones of Scripture and suck out the marrow. I think we touched on this in the last episode. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Uh, I can't even remember what the last episode I did or the last uh, what the topic was. I think it was chapter 5, but I don't know. But if it was um, that think about a sermon. Again, Second Timothy chapter 4. Sermon should teach, it should re reprove it should correct and it should train. Exposition. Correction. Rebuking, reproving. Applying the scripture. A sermon should instruct, it should feed, it should challenge, and it should nurture us. So as we study the word, as we read it, as we take it in, as we, pardon the pun, immerse ourselves in it, we should, we should probably scratch that. We should ask ourselves these questions. What does this passage teach us? We fall into the trap of as we read or study, either individually or with other brothers and sisters, we, 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 we try to find and identify what, what, what this is saying to us individually. Right? How can I apply this to myself right now in this very moment? Or God gave me this verse. but we lose sight of what the passage is actually saying.
So when Paul tells us that the Bible is profitable for teaching, we ask ourselves, what is this teaching? What is the doctrine of this passage? What is the underlying theological theme? Paul tells us that the Bible is profitable for rebuking. So we should ask, what sin or sins do this, does this passage expose? And rebuke. Paul tells us that the Bible is profitable for correction. We must ask ourselves in this sense, in what way does this passage show us how to live for Christ? Does it tell us what and why and how to replace the old? with the new? Paul tells us that the Bible is profitable for training in righteousness to equip us for every good work. We must ask ourselves as we study the Bible, how does this passage train and equip us? And for what good work does it prepare us? In this context, he relates a interesting story of a minister that he knew who would give the Ephesians a test to people. Essentially, what the Ephesians test is, is, um, well, I'll relate it as he relates it. A friend was told that he was having wonderful quiet times and he was studying through Ephesians. So his friend was asked the question, imagine that when you started reading Ephesians, I had given you a blank notebook and asked you to record your reflections on each day's passage. And then at the end of the month, let me read what you have written. What would I find? Would I find a fascinating account of your life during the past month prompted but prompted by what you had read in Ephesians or would I find a descriptions of what Ephesians teaches with some applications to your life indicating what you need to learn and how by God's grace Ephesians has shown you not only your sin but the riches of God's grace in Christ and the nature of the transformed life God equips God calls and equips you to live. That's a pretty convicting little story. Think about that. Study on that. Uh, re reflect on that for a while. We can read it. without taking it in. Our study can be a momentary, momentary event, but it also can be a lifetime investment in knowing, loving, and obeying the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
our study must make Holy Scripture a part of us. By and through the Spirit, through prayer, through meditation. Psalmist tells us in the first Psalm, how blessed is the man who daily reflects and meditates on the law of God. Coming back to the memory thing there brought up earlier. It's amazing to me how a lot of the things that I have memorized from my teenage years, scripture-wise, they're all in the King James Version, and I haven't regularly read the King James in many, many years. Wasn't setting out purposely to memorize the Those verses, perhaps those verses were repeated too often back in the old uh, fundamental Baptist days. But regardless, I'm, I'm surprised sometimes how easily these things come back to mind and, and, and consequently out of my lips. But it is harder now to memorize than it was 30 years ago, unfortunately. As if there wasn't enough toe-stomping in this chapter, Dr. Ferguson closes with what uh, is a very, very convicting and salient point in our society. If you get, uh, and you know, you, you, if, if you go to a bookstore or go to christianbook.com or get one of their catalogs and you go to the Bible section, how much do you see? There are pages and pages of Bibles. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But we have so many new translations so many specialized editions. We have a firefighter's Bible. We have a teenage girl Bible. We have a teenage boy Bible. We have a nurse's Bible. We have study Bibles for every little thing. She Reads Truth Study Bible or the um, the Schofield or the Reformation Study Bible or the New Geneva Study Bible or the ESV Study Bible. And these are helpful tools, to be sure. <clears throat> but maybe sometimes we just need to stop and sit down and read the Word. But we have easier access to God's Word we, at this point in time, than any people in the history of this world. We don't have to tote around scrolls or animal skins. We have super-duper compact Bibles that can fit in your shirt pocket. We have Bibles that need uh, four wheels and a motor to tote around. And everything in between.
but it seems that Christians today read and understand less than those who came before us who didn't have constant access at their fingertips, who didn't have a little uh, mini computer in their pocket and access to 60, 70, 80, 100 different translations. Why is that? We read less, we understand less. Is it because we're not being fed, not being uh, taught in church? We're not even going to church, right? There are more nuns now, N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S, more nuns now than, than at any time in, or identified nuns, let's put it that way, in this country's history than any time. Church attendance continues to decrease. There are so many things in this world that fight for our time and, and we sacrifice the most important things for the most unimportant things at times. So it is, any, is it any wonder, since we do not go to church, we do not read the Bible, we do not listen to biblical things, We're too occupied with Facebook, Twitter, um, pardon the fundamentalism coming down in it. We, we're too focused on the rock and roll and the TV and, and, and all this other stuff <clears throat> and not focused enough up on the Word of God. Perhaps we think that yeah, those, those, those people back in the, uh, the, you know, the 15th, 14th century, well, okay, the, perhaps the 16th and on, after uh, the word was translated into the, uh, the vulgar languages and uh, the printing press made it possible for people to own their own copy. It was easy for them, right? They didn't have the distractions. All they did was work and sleep and eat. But the Word was crucial for them. Sure, they didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They had Shakespeare, perhaps, if you were uh, into that, that sort of thing. We always search for entertainment. That's just as Calvin so astutely put it, uh, the human heart is a factory of idols. We, we certainly love to find things to uh, take our attention away from God. Well, I'm preaching a little too much, I think, uh, since I'm not a preacher. I am a humble carbuncle of the church. But Dr. Ferguson closes this chapter with some words that, if nothing else, should make us think. And in this context, consider what our brothers and sisters across the world go through. And how if they're even, if they even per 
proclaim themselves as a Christian, they could face death. And we've got it hard here, right? If they are caught with a copy of the scriptures, what will happen to them? And yet they risk their lives for God's word. That is amazing. But if, God forbid, some point in the future, or even now, let's say, our government decided to deem the Bible as contraband, and uh, your local government or your state government or even the federal government decided to <clears throat> send uh, Gil Grissom with the CSI team down to your house. They find that Bible. Would there be enough recent fingerprint and DNA evidence to, to convict you as being a Christian? Or would it be, uh, oh, he's not a Christian. This thing is, is not even used. Depending on which Bible they found in my house, and, and I'm, I'm certainly Bible poor, but uh, depending on which ones they found, perhaps they, they wouldn't think. Uh, but uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. Are your fingerprints and your DNA on your Bible or Bibles? Have you made it a part of your life? Made it a part of you? Or is it simply some good words and a good example that uh, works for some people but not for you? You're a modern Christian. You don't need these words. You don't need these narrow uh, words. So think about it. That is, this has been chapter 6 of Dr. Sinclair Ferguson's book devoted to God's church, Core Values for Christian Fellowship. Thank you for listening. May God bless you.